Hello and welcome to the Should I Go See It podcast. I'm your host, Bill George. With me as always, AJ Rebecca and super producer Craig Stanton. What's going on, Bill? Hello, fellas. What's going on, AJ? How are you? What's new? Uh, I just feel like time is a flat circle and just history is repeating itself every week and I'm slowly slipping into seasonal depression. Love that for you. We had like another foot of snow this weekend out of nowhere like this. Boom. It was bad. Been watching a lot of TV, eating a lot of really bad food, not working out. Love that. I just feel like, you know, the worst version of myself. But how are you? You're hibernating. That's normal. Feels like I'm more like cultivating mass than hibernating. We'll chalk it up to hibernation. I'm great, AJ. I'm great. In in your in your watching of things, uh, any movies? Any movies to catch up on lately? Yep. Uh, I actually did one full movie this week. Uh, I watched the new Ghostbusters Afterlife with uh, oh, yeah. the child from Stranger Things that no one knows his real name and Carrie Coons and Paul Rudd. And overall, thought it was a pretty good flick. Yeah, you liked it. Yeah, I think it, it it was a good continuation of the series. I appreciated that. The the main girl who was cast as like Harold Ramis 2.0 was phenomenal. She was great. I, I feel like the first two acts were really strong. And then like I think Paul Rudd and Carrie Coons were really underutilized in like the last half of the movie, which was a little disappointing. And the CGI that was used in the, in the last final act was a little odd and weird. But overall, I felt good. Maybe shed a little tear. I just it, I was very sentimental because um, I loved Ghostbusters growing up. Yeah, same. I, I enjoyed it as well. I don't think we've covered it fully on a podcast before, but my thoughts pretty much echo yours. I enjoyed it. Uh, Carrie Coon, great. Underutilized towards the end. But she's always great. Paul Rudd is always great. Uh, yeah, it was fun. It was an enjoyable movie. I could kind of just go with it. Did you give it a yes, Bill, or did you review it on the site? I did on the site. I did give it a yes. And and in in sad news, if we go right to our in the news segment, right to kick things off, sure, related to Ghostbusters, uh, producer director Ivan Reitman, who was basically responsible for most of the comedies in the seventies and eighties, uh, Ghostbusters, Twins, Kindergarten Cop, Junior, Beethoven, Draft Day, Stripes. I mean, anything that you watch with Bill Murray and, and Harold Ramis growing up yep. passed away um, this this past week and super sad. Uh, Ivan's son actually directed Ghostbusters Afterlife and you could tell it was a, it was a, a homage to uh, the work that his dad did, but it was super sad to hear that. Bill, favorite uh, Reitman producer directed movie right off the right off the head. What do oh, you it's, got? Go- it's Ghostbusters. I've said uh, before on record that Ghostbusters, I think, is maybe the funniest movie of all time. Uh, I've seen it multiple times now in theaters. Whenever they do a re-release, I always go back and watch it again. Love it. I made the mistake of watching it on an airplane once, and I felt like such a jerk because I was just I could not hold my laughter in. So I was just this <laughs> maniac on a plane, just like laughing out loud hysterically to myself. Because uh, Ghostbusters just gets me every time. It's it's so phenomenal and so fundamental to my love of film. So uh, Ivan Reitman definitely will be missed. Uh, and his son, Jason Reitman, uh, doing his father proud, living up to to the name uh, with this Ghostbusters Afterlife, as well as having uh, directed one of my favorite films of all time up in the air uh, was Jason Reitman. So very talented family and very sad to see uh, to Ivan, Ivan go. Yeah. And uh, to, to wrap it up, um, 
thank you for asking me what my favorite movie was um, that he did. Uh, <laughs> Andy, tell me, tell me about it's, your, your. It's gotta be. It's right gotta now. be Kindergarten Cop. Arnold. The the. I would have loved to been in that pitch room. They were like, listen, <laughs> an undercover cop goes to infiltrate a drug dealer by trying to find their kids in a school, and they're like, who's the cop? Like Bruce Willis. Like. Axel Foley, they're like, no, no, no. It's Arnold Schwarzenegger. Does everyone just like the, the tops come off and like ties being swung in the air? Because it's one of the greatest premises of all time. You know? <laughs> it is it's a good one. I mean, I haven't seen it in literally 20 years. Still uh, holds up. Does it? Have you seen yeah. it recently? Stop. Uh a couple months ago. Yeah, it was on like TNT or TBS. Oh, no yeah. Way. Dude, movie still just hits it out of the park. So I love it. I love it. Yeah. It's a great one. What else? Uh, what else was in the news? In an interview with Variety, Mark Wahlberg jokingly said he'd love to play Bill Belichick in a Tom Brady biopic. If there was such a movie, Bill, who's your dream cast, and how would you outline the plot? Show me your vision. Tell me your vision. Okay, all right. I have. A couple, let me pull up my notes real quick because I have a couple things to say about this. One, right out of the gate, Giselle Bundchen as herself. Whoa! Let's not let's not Whoa. try to reinvent the wheel. I mean, go with it till it stops working, right? Uh, okay. Belichick, I think you're gonna like this one. Brian Cox as Bill Belichick. Wow! Come on, come on. Or I mean, or maybe my other alternative alternative is uh, John Goodman. Those guys are both old as hell, though. So is Belichick. Well, now, but depending on when the story. Yeah, you're right. You're right. When you said Brian Cox for a split second, I thought Brian Cranston and was like, oh, wow, that's like a real. Well, Cranston can make someone look older, but it's real to make someone look younger. You know what I mean? That's true. Cranston can do anything. So that's actually a good pick, too. Uh, all right. Before I get into my story ideas, you're you 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 go for casting. Wait, what about Tom? What about Tom? I couldn't come up with anything. (laughs) So you're just going to pretend like he doesn't exist and just kick it over to AJ? I don't know. I was going to see what AJ had. Well, my 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 angle is completely different. So we'll get to that because it's the ramblings of a madman. But if I if I was to cast Bill Belichick, it would have to be Jim Belushi. The revival of Jim Belushi. Jim Belushi, a little career resurrection. Yup. Ooh, I like that. Fuck, yup. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Craig's looking at his computer right now. <laughs> Looking, search Jim Belushi images. Okay, sure. Okay, Honestly. okay, keep going. Okay, paint the scene for me. What my movie? Oh yeah, your movie. Wait, who plays Tom? No one can play Tom. We have we have no rec- we have no recommendation. I can't figure it out. We He's never shown. He never comes on camera. Henry Cavill, maybe? Like I don't know. Oh, Jimmy Garoppolo as Tom Brady. <laughs> <laughs> um. All right. So here's I got a, I got. Let me give you like. Three options for movies. Three. I'll keep them brief. I'll keep them brief. Okay. One, you do origin. Okay. So if you want to go way back, I think you do a parallel construction where you follow Tom Brady and Kurt Warner. Because Kurt Warner also has an interesting story. So first act, you know, Kurt is already like greatest show on turf. Brady gets drafted as a nobody. And at the end of act one, Bledsoe's hurt. Act two, Brady's trying to figure stuff out and Kurt Warner's rolling. And then Act Three, the inevitable confrontation, Super Bowl Thirty Six, and you get like the underdog story and the underdog win. And then the text at the end says Tom Brady went on to blah 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 blah. So that's that's one option if you want to go back. I don't I don't like that take, but go on. Okay, all right, that was one. That was one. Uh, another option 
you just you focus it on one event very specifically, either the Falcon Super Bowl because it has the most like ups and downs, or Deflategate maybe, and you tell that story in depth with flashbacks as much as needed to fill in whatever the character is like thinking at that point. Kind of like Sully. I'm thinking the movie Sully. I don't know if you saw that one. Yep. Okay. Where the event of Sully is kind of parsed out throughout the movie, but they but they show like the aftermath and some of the before throughout. Okay, you're getting warmer. So an event movie is one. Yep. And then my choice is you make it like, this is going to be weird, but you make it, a, model it after The Hurt Locker. You see that movie? Did you see The Hurt Locker? Uh, it's been quite a bit, Bill. Okay. So <laughs> it's a straightforward sort of just the facts. You go through his career and you just tell little stories and struggles just in order, you know, Deflate gates, buy gate, issues with his trainer, obviously all the wins and all that stuff. And and it focuses on his dedication to the game and him having a fear that when he leaves the game, he won't be able to find anything in life as exciting. Because there was a there was a 60 minute story that uh, interview that surfaced where he was saying how he fears retirement because he won't find anything as interesting. And there needs to be an obstacle in the movie. There needs to be conflict or crisis or else the movie's going to be boring. So I think... The obstacle or, or the basis for the film is him constantly pushing to stay in the game because he doesn't want to move away from it. And you have scenes of him like ignoring his kids to watch film. He's got no interest in real life. Uh, and at the end, so if you remember the end of The Hurt Locker where he comes back from Iraq, he's like supermarket shopping yeah, and he's staring at a cereal aisle. And yeah. it's just like the music in the background and he's just looking at this wall of cereal and he's just, and you can just see on his face that he's just, he's just not there. Send me back. Ship me the fuck back. And then it cuts to him back in Iraq, right? Uh, so in this movie, we get to the end of like the Patriots career and we have that type of scene where he's like in real life. And then all of a sudden he like, you see the look in his eye and you smash back to him running out of the tunnel in the Bucks uniform because he can't stop. Like he has to keep doing it. Oh. Uh, so that would be how I think I would tell it Craig rate him I like the idea of the sh- of like the cl- we've talked about this before where like in like mo- modern biopics like sort of a trend is that you'd like just tell one little small size story instead of going like fully autobiographical mm-hmm. yes but what what I would love to see is if they were going to do a movie like this to make it about something specific but that happened off the field so not the Atlantic Super Bowl not the um, not the perfect season, like something, you know, behind the scenes contractual, maybe it is deflate gate. Maybe it's like just the falling out between him and the team, right. something off the field, I think would be great because so much of the stuff that he did on the field was like, what else is there to, right. We already know, know like, it. We already what, seen it. Yeah. What else is there to make a movie about in the 28 to three Super Bowl? Like it, it, it happened. We all saw it. Everybody knows it. It's like, what is, what more is there? To, what story is left to tell with that? Yeah. So yeah. I like the idea of like that little, that little vignette, little, if you will. Uh, vignette. Thank you so sure, much for that. Sure. Love it. Okay, AJ, what do you got? All right, I'm going to go in a completely different angle, but vibe with me. I guarantee goosebumps at the end of it. Ready? Okay. We Love open it. up to a title card, Hingham, Massachusetts. Beautiful B-roll of the South Shore, right? We get a wide shot of Bill sitting at this like massive mahogany desk. Not Bill George, Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick reading scouting reports, drinking orange juice. Off camera, director prompts him, where do you want to start? And Bill says, when he tried to take control of my team, 
boom, we go into like a psycho montage uh, montage of just like top Patriots moments of them just like teabagging the competition. All right. And then all through it, we hear voiceovers from like Teddy, Randy Moss, Gronk, Edelman, Vince Wilfork, Mike Vrabel. We get to the end of this absolute drip fest. Music drops. And we're looking right at Tom. And he smiles. He's like, when I took that first snap for Drew, it became my fucking team. And then Patriots Nation has a collective and simultaneous orgasm paired with suicidal thoughts because we're never going to experience anything like that for the rest of our lives. I love it. I love it. That's good. Boom. That's good. So like it's like faux documentary almost. No, I'm talking real. To, I want like I want the story from the brains. Like I want to do a like a true bio, like a like a docu series. Oh, uh, okay. yeah. All right. I thought it, I thought these would be like actors N- playing them. No, like-, like NFL films meets you know like the the Jordan doc meets like the E True Hollywood story. A hundred percent. Yep. Yeah. That's yeah. my idea. Okay. okay. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Uh, any other news items, AJ? So this week, Oscar nominations were announced. And Bill, there are 10, count them, 10 nominees for Best best Picture. My question is, what, what are we doing here? Like, what are we doing here? It's, ten? it's, an, it, we need ten? it's a nightmare. It is a nightmare scenario here. It is bad. Uh, and for those that don't follow the Oscars, which according to recent ratings of Oscars, it seems like nobody does. Uh, to get you kind of caught up on the nonsense, in the 30s and 40s, way back, it was 8 to 12 nominees. But then from the 50s to 2009, so like our entire lives, it was five nominees, period. And I always thought that was fine. I thought that was the gold standard. I love it. I love five. Five, I think, is perfect. It's a prime number. 2008 comes around. The Dark Knight hits. Makes a billion dollars. Does not get nominated. People are wondering how can a movie that that is that is so critically acclaimed and publicly acclaimed not get nominated? And they apparently decide instead of it's an issue with the voting, they say it's an issue with the number of nominees we have. So in 2009, it becomes a five to ten, depending on merit, nomination system. So it's been five to ten. We've typically gotten eight, and now all of a sudden, it's not that we got 10 because of merit, they actually made a rule change this year that now going forward, it's set at 10. So stupid. And then you look at the nominees and you think of a movie like Spider-Man No Way Home, also critically acclaimed, also made tons of money, kind of Dark Knight-ish, and it's not in the list. So like, if this whole point was to expand the nominees to get more populist movies in there, to get more audience to watch the awards themselves because they have a rooting interest, they have failed miserably on all counts. Can I add... One other thing to that, please. And on top of that, on top of all of that perfectly positioned paragraph of prose you just had, Bill, Amy Schumer and Wanda Sykes are the goddamn hosts this year. (laughs) What have they done in the last 10 years, 20 years that merit them to be the hosts of the 94th Academy Awards? I yeah, I don't. Yeah, that's I'm still processing that news. Uh, I mean, they are stand ups and the opening. The only thing they really do in as hosts typically is stand up for the first 10 minutes. But even so, I mean, my personal take on Amy Schumer, I always thought her sketch comedy was pretty funny, but I never really loved her stand up. 
And I haven't seen her do any stand up in like she's been doing movies and stuff. And like Trainwreck was a great movie. She's done other stuff. Let me tell you, after Trainwreck, what did she, what has she done since Trainwreck? Since Trainwreck, I couldn't couldn't tell you. Nothing. She has a show on the Food Network with her chef husband. Oh, really? I didn't know that. And Wanda Sykes, tell me honestly, what has she done in fifteen years? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'd still stick with no host personally, but no host, 45 minutes long. Can I, uh, before we move uh, on to the final thing here, uh, one factoid about the nominees, like we'll do a full Oscar preview show at some point, but one factoid and it's a little, this is a little trivia test for you, AJ. Uh, sure. Should Anita DeBose win the Oscar, her and Rita Moreno would be uh, only the third pair of actors to win for playing the same character. It's happened two other times. Do you know those other times? Oh, you're talking about West Side Story right yes, now, right? Yes, Anita Bose was nominated for Best Supporting Actress for West Side Story. Yep. And Rita Moreno won Best Supporting Actor for West Side Story. Same character. When are the, other, the two other instances where two actors won for playing the same character? Did Lady Gaga win for uh, Star is Born? No. Um, I'll do one more guess just to, to be conscious of time. Um, male and female, correct? Uh, I'll give you a hint. It's it's male. It's all male. Oh, uh, Gregory Peck is Atticus Finch. No, good guess though. That's interesting. Okay, uh, I don't know, Bill. I'm gonna guess. I'm gonna guess just based on the sheer volume of comic book movies that there's a Batman in there somewhere. Oh, Craig, you are so close. For the same character, though. Same character. Yeah, I know. So it could have been what's his face and the uh, other guy, Heath Ledger and Jack Nicholson. You have half of it. Heath Ledger and Joaquin Phoenix both won playing oh, Joker. The Joker. Okay. Ah. ah. All right. What's the other one? And then the other one is both Marlon Brando and Robert De Niro both played Vito Corleone in Godfather One and Godfather Two, yeah, and they both two. won. Yep. Same character. Yep. Uh, wow. So this would be. The third time, uh, if she were to win, which I believe she should and will. But anyway, I thought that was a delightful fun fact. Okay. Uh, let's move on to... Should I go see it? Let's. Uh, Bill, you watched a couple movies this week. I think we got three to talk about. Uh, you saw one less than a few hours ago. Um, True. Let's start with uh, Death on the Nile. Death on the Nile. According to IMDb.com, while on vacation on the Nile, Hercule Poirot must investigate the murder of a young heiress. Bill, should I go see it? No. I would say no. Uh, This is another Agatha Christie murder mystery with Kenneth Branagh uh, directing and starring as Poirot. Okay. And... He is a treat. He is the best part of both these movies. Uh, this and Murder on the Orient Express, which was the uh, one from a few years ago. Oh, it's the same world. It is. Uh, talk to me about the movie. I mean, it lo- I mean, you got Gal Gadot, you got Russell Brand, Annette Benning, Tom Bateman. You got a whole mm-hmm. whole yep. cast of people that it seems like they don't know what they're doing. Yeah. So none of them are that great. Gal Gadot, oddly. It definitely feels like she was phoning it in more than normal. I, I think she's very talented and great, but in this, it definitely was not showing. Uh, and the tricky thing about this is it's it's a murder mystery, right? And you know that someone, one of the characters we know, did it. And I understand that it's really hard to write a murder mystery because if you give too much information, it's predictable. But if you don't give enough information, the audience feels 
cheated at the end that they didn't like see enough to be able to predict it, but you don't want them to predict it. Uh, and the actors need to play everything a little bit big. They can't be too subtle because if it's too subtle and then the audience misses a look or a comment or whatever, then they're going to feel again cheated. So the actors have to play it big and it just comes across as kind of phony. Uh, and it just, it just didn't, it was just very heavy handed. The whole movie kind of sags under its own weight. Um, besides Perot, who's like, has like some actual very funny, goofy moments and he is great. And if the whole movie had that tone, maybe it would work. Uh, but as is, it just, it's just not that great. And the conclusion is not as interesting as the conclusion to Orient Express. And I know that you can, if you, I'm not going to spoil it, but if you know Orient Express, you know, you can only pull that rabbit out of the hat once. So I get that this one has to be different but it's just not as uh not as interesting any any redeeming qualities about the film i mean like you know you said like the title character is charming funny best part of the film uh set design locations many production value i mean it looks like they shot it all all over africa uh oh the the production design <laughs> the production design was laughable aj you and i could have built a more realistic nile in your backyard uh <laughs> <laughs> It is just horrendous. Uh, the CG was a joke. And everybody's just playing dress up. It's all make pretend, pretending to be like the 1930s when you're looking at it. You're like, there's zero shot that this is what anybody looked like in the 1930s. Uh, yeah, I, it was bad. I read a bad. few things online, too, that people are like roasting the movie for like factual errors. Like, for example, in like the trailer, there's a, a band playing in the background. This guy's playing a massive... Uh, uh, hollow body Gibson, but Gibson didn't make a hollow body guitar until 1958. But <laughs> yeah, it's a joke. That the production is a joke. And then apparently, like, there's a lot of references to Casablanca, but the film actually takes place before Casablanca was ever filmed. <laughs> yeah, the whole thing is a joke in that in that side of things. The one bright spot you, you asked about redeeming qualities, uh, the Emma Mackey performance of Emma Mackey, who I had never seen before. Apparently, she's on that show Sex Education on Netflix, which I've heard about but never watched. She was outstanding. She was like the one person who I was watching. And I was like, oh, my God, who is this? Like, she was great. Um, but otherwise, otherwise, yeah, no, it's it's one of those ones you can feel free to catch on HBO sometime. It's it's inessential, I would say. I was going to ask you, what should I see instead? But I know exactly what you're going to say. Go ahead, because I do have I do have a main one. You're gonna say knives out. Of course, I'm gonna say knives out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or even like I'd even rather watch like a Downey Jr. Sherlock Holmes, because like if you're watching this movie, you're all just waiting for the end when the, the detective give me the rug pull when the detective starts you know putting it all together and doing their speech and you're seeing it all cut together like that's the moment you want. Uh, and uh, yeah, Daniel Craig and Knives Out would be would be my pick for a a watch instead. Love it. Moving on uh, to Moonfall, Vomit. Uh, according to IMDb.com, a mysterious force knocks the moon from its orbit around Earth and sends it hurling on a collision course with life as we know it. Another Roland Emmerich shit storm. Bill, should I go see it? <laughs> no, AJ, I'm sad to Someone say Someone no. needs to put this guy like away for a while and tell him just to stop. <laughs> Yeah, I know. You know, we talked about this before. You told me it was going to be terrible. I said that I wanted to see it, uh, and I did, and it was horrendous. Uh, the script was just a calamity. 
Uh, I mean, it really, the movie had one job and it didn't even really accomplish that. <laughs> like the effects are fine, but they're barely even used. The movie is just, it's a classic disaster movie where they add unnecessary characters, unnecessary subplots. It's two hours and 10 minutes long when they only have 80 minutes worth what? of material. <laughs> Yeah. Two hours for a, a Roland movie? Yeah, it's bad, man. It doesn't know what it wants to be. It either needed to be more fun or it needed to be more serious, but it can't be both. Uh, it just, uh, having seen the trailers for this, the tone of it, it's not a comedy? I kind of thought it was a comedy. It depends on the scene. Well, I mean, it's got, it's got Michael Pena in it. Come on, it's it comedy all day. The scene. That's the problem. Is like, you'll have a scene. Like, we're talking about the moon falling into the earth like the the casualties in this movie is is astronomical astronomical <laughs> but then they're still making these like quips back and forth and you're like wait what <laughs> like this is the end of the world like it just it didn't work for me at all if they cut some characters they made it they cut 30 minutes maybe it would work uh but also what's what is also a bummer the like wide shots of the moon falling into the earth. Like the more, the larger the scale, the less it actually had any impact or was interesting versus early on. They have a sequence where just the oceans start to rise uh, and it starts to like flood and knock stuff around and like that. And they're like trapped in a hotel as the water rises type of thing. Um, That's what they did in the day after tomorrow. Right. True. But like those shots of like a city getting flooded was way more interesting and compelling than like, fucking you're looking at half of the earth in one shot getting like <laughs> like with the moon on it like there's just no stakes there uh so i wish the movie had done a much more gradual build-up with like weird gravity changes or tide changes like as it starts to like ramp but they don't do any of that the movie is like the structure is just a complete nightmare besides independence day what is the best roland emmerich movie in your opinion i think it's got to be day after tomorrow right yeah, I mean, okay, I, I thought we would align with that. Yeah. Early Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah. Emmy Rossum. Oh, <laughs> great. Great. Treasure. Uh, uh, yeah. What, what should I, should I just watch paint dry instead of watching this film? Like, what, what should I, what else should I do with my time? I mean, not related in the sense that it's a disaster movie, but is related in the sense that it involves people in space. Uh, Interstellar is obviously like, the movie of course if you're talking about space movies because there is a large contingent of this movie that takes place in outer space um so yeah sure there's one but any there's many many other better disaster movies um and i and at this point i'm realizing that smaller scale disaster movies are probably better even like a dante's peak or something like that i'd rather watch uh last but certainly not least is kimmy streaming on hbo max according to imdb.com and agoraphobic Seattle tech worker uncovers evidence of a crime uh, starring Zoe Kravitz. Bill, should I go see it? <laughs> uh, so I gave it a no, but it's a soft no. I, it's not bad by any means. It's just um, ultimately it's kind of forgettable. It's basically like a tech version of Rear Window. Huh. So like she... She is a stream analyst that works for a, a company that has a, a listening device speaker, like a smart speaker. That's what I'm saying. And so she listens to the commands that people give it when they can't be understood by the algorithm. 
they're saved, sent to her. She actually, or, you know, the team, and she actually like listens to them to try to make the algorithm better by figuring out what they meant to say. Yep. So that's that's her job. That's the premise. And then she hears on one of these recorded devices what sounds like a, a crime, like a, an assault. Okay. And then she needs to figure out like what to do about it. But going to the company, the company obviously doesn't want you know to get involved and da 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 da. So she feels like she can't do anything about it. It does take place mid slash post COVID. So that's part of the reason she's agoraphobic is like ever since the pandemic, she doesn't really want to leave. So Uh, there's masks involved and hand sanitizer and the whole thing, but she doesn't want to leave the house. Um, So when she has to do something about this, it gets a little trickier. So again, rear window, you're kind of stuck, but you're looking, there's like another apartment building across the street and you can look in the windows and talk to the neighbors and the whole thing. Sure. Um, So the first half, is great. Like it sets up that mystery. There's the, the use of technology that I always appreciate about Soderbergh as a director is it's used realistically. Like when someone uses a computer, they do it in a way that a real human would versus most movies. Uh, so great setup, a lot of showing instead of telling, like very well put together in that regard. And then the second half, it kind of just becomes an over the top thriller. Like a lot of these movies, like when she does eventually need to go out, like all these movies, it just becomes your classic run of the mill foot chase, yada, yada, yada conspiracy thing. So it kind of lost steam by the end, but good setup, good performance, just ultimately kind of meh. So didn't want to give it a blanket. Yes. To tell everybody to go see it, but I'm also not saying to like actively avoid it. If it sounds interesting to you, give it a shot, but not necessarily for everybody. Let's move on to our final segment, uh, the one we like to call Netflix and Bill. Talk about a little bit of the the TV we've we've been watching uh, these last few <laughs> yeah. weeks. What do you what do you what have you been watching? Uh, two things really. First, I finished uh, Reacher, season one of Reacher, the Amazon Prime show. The, the man who stars in that that show must not be human because his body is unlike anything I've ever seen before in my entire life. It's a, yeah, it's a Greek sculpture come to life. <laughs> he's, he's superhuman. Uh, and that is... <laughs> Holy crap, I just Googled him. Yeah, yeah. it's unreal. Jeez. But he's also, he is great actor. Really? Very funny. Got comedic chops. And he's got the subtlety to do the, the, the Sherlock Holmes type of thing. I mean, Reacher is based on the character Jack Reacher. There's 26, I think, books based on this character. They're all just sort of anthology detective stories. But it's basically like Batman without the cape and cowl. It's like one of those types of stories where the character is the best fighter in the world. He's the best detective. He's the best marksman. He's the best driver. Like, it's just wish fulfillment in a lot of ways. Uh, And it's great. I loved it. It's, you know, small town murder investigation is sort of the setup, but then there's more than meets the eye and crooked cops and love it. Distrust of outsiders and all this great stuff. It's fantastic. I really enjoyed it. Uh, It ended with a little bit of like a classic 90s boilerplate action movie ending, which was like a little meh, but the book was written in the 90s. So I guess you got to give it a little leeway there. Renewed for season two. Already renewed for season two. Excited about that. Love it. Um, And what's neat is... I not everybody was, especially not readers, but I was a big fan of the Jack Reacher film with Tom Cruise. The first one, second one was terrible. First one was great, and to see a different actor playing the same character, and me knowing that movie by heart, and like seeing some lines that they must have pulled from the books because they were consistent, and seeing how crystal clear the characterization is, no matter who's playing him, is really a testament to the writing uh, of the of the original author as well as the adapting of the screenplay. 
but seeing Tom Cruise's take on it, uh, which brings a certain amount of intensity to it because he doesn't have the stature that this character does. So he has to kind of make up for it in the performance. And I think he does yep. personally. And then this meanwhile, this actor, Alan Richson, uh, he does embody the character as written, which is this huge bulking dude. Um, and both work well. So I'm, I'm into it. I love it. That was great. Uh, I have one more, AJ, but I want to hear what you're watching. Uh, I got two. I'll make them pretty quick. Uh, both Netflix. I've been watching Murderville, that Will Arnett sketch comedy show. Yeah. Uh, I, I watched the first two. The first two, one was with Conan O'Brien. They, and the other one, the second one was with... Marshawn Lynch? It was with Marsh, Marshawn Lynch was the second one. The Marshawn Lynch one made me laugh hysterically. The Conan O'Brien one was so flat. And it's... It's improv, and you have to be really good at, at improv. I mean, Conan's been out of the game for a while. I mean, Marshawn was just playing along and had a blast. Um, I could see how they can be hit or miss, um, but as any kind of improv goes, there are moments where like you're like, oh, my God, that's hysterical, and there's minutes that feel like hours because it just, yeah, there's no connection. It doesn't pick up steam. It's just awkward. So um, I'll try to get through the rest of them. I mean, it's not a must watch, but like if you're looking for something new and you love the people that star, that guest star in the episodes, try one out. Um, like I said, the Marshawn Lynch one is hysterical. Yeah, that was my that was my question on that is is improv for me. I don't know. Sometimes it makes me uncomfortable, especially if it's not going well. So I'm like hesitant to start the show. But uh, can I like pick an episode? Can I just watch the Kumail Najmiani episode, for instance, and not? There's some backstory in episode one of like, and it's typical like trope that like divorced alcoholic haunted past. Yeah. Yeah. Haunted past. Um, the, the setup though is everyone knows everyone has a script and then Will Arnett has the outline of the show. And then the person who's guest starring has zero context whatsoever. Right. Okay. Yeah. So gotcha. it still moves along, but there are like points I said that are just brutal to watch. Okay. Okay. And the other one, oh my God, it might have the longest title of any show in the history of the world. Uh, <laughs> the woman in the house across the street from the girl in the window. Uh, the Kristen Bell miniseries on Netflix. Truly one of the worst pieces of American television I've ever watched <laughs> in my entire life. Stop. Bill, I want you to I want you to watch it just to see how fucking awful this is. I mean I it's awful. I need a visual aid just to figure out the title. Like, I need a schematic. I don't know. I'm so confused. There are points where, like, I don't know if it's supposed to be, like, a, a dark comedy or, like, that's just the way it's acted. But there are points where, like, I, I don't know if this is supposed to be funny or true or, like, a drama. It's just really weird. I think Kristen Bell is, like, a good actress. I think she's done a lot of okay stuff. She tries to, like, branch out in this to be a little bit drama crying like all the emotions mm -hmm. and it, it's just it's just weird like it's weird man it's weird well you you watched it with your wife correct did she like it or any difference there uh she was digging it and then mid midway through the season it's like wow this is kind of getting really like messed up and then the last episode i was like this is one of the most second last episode i was like just truly one of the worst things I've ever watched in my entire life. Oh, jeez. Okay. So if you want to see something, a, a, tr a train wreck in real life, just, I mean, pop that on, see what happens. It's a Netflix show. Uh, Bill, you have one more. I'm hoping you're watching a show on Hulu. I am. If you're thinking of Pam and Tommy. How is it? 
Um, it's okay. Um, you know, Sebastian Stan as Tommy Lee steals every scene he's in. Like he's over the top, hilarious, amazing. Uh, and Lily James as Pam is also very good, especially you know now that we're about halfway through the series and she has a lot more to do. The first two episodes, she's not in that much, but now that she has more to do, she's actually very good. So casting there is great. Um, but the show itself, like the, the, it hasn't really sucked me in a lot. Like I. It's not like the OJ show where like uh, there's like something like really I don't know there's I don't this feels more disposable like I don't care quite as much about this story period so the performances are good the the making of the show the needle drops are a little out of control um, that's super distracting yeah and the other the other thing that like the more I watch it the more I get a little weird about is Pam Anderson was not involved in the show. Versus like a Monica Lewinsky was one of the producers for the Her American Crime Story. Pam Anderson's not involved in the show. So we're watched. So interesting. It's all about a sex tape that was released without her consent and like ruined her life. And now I'm watching a show that is also released without her consent about the event that ruined her life. Like it, it's starting to make me feel a little icky watching it now that we're in the sequences where she is reacting to the sex tape. And like yeah. I'm watching this watching her react mm. and I know that she's not involved in this either. So it's starting to get a little weird watching it to be perfectly honest. Um plus there must be just a gratuitous nudity throughout, right? Oh, there is for sure. So be yeah. aware of that when you're going in, they don't pull their punches at all. Um including a lot more male nudity than we're accustomed to seeing on TV. Interesting. Um So yeah, it's um it's graphic for sure. But yeah, I don't know. It's okay. I'll probably finish it out. But honestly, I also wouldn't be surprised if I forget that it's on and skip it. How um how are Seth Rogen and uh, Offerman? Offerman's okay. Rogen is a little distracting because it's Seth Rogen. Like, I, uh, it's one of those castings where it's like it gets old. Superstar person who I'm just so accustomed to seeing that it it's hard to look yeah. past that to see a character. Um, so I don't know. But yeah, he's he's not my not wouldn't be my topic. Uh, looking forward to the next week, two weeks. What do you got on the radar for things to watch? AJ, I am very excited that we we got tickets to see the Batman uh, advanced screening. Advanced screening in IMAX. Uh, on you know, movies come out on a Friday. They usually do some early shows on a Thursday. We're going to be able to see it. You and I on the Tuesday of the week it comes out. Very exciting. Coming up yeah. on a Tuesday. It's be great. And I think this will be the first time you and I have seen a movie together since the puppet one. <laughs> the Happy Time Murders. Happy Time yeah. Murders. Yep. I don't know if we've seen anything together since then. So this will be fun. Yeah, I can't wait. Uh, the only other thing that is on my radar is uh, season four of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel comes out this week. Huge fan of that show. Um, big, big, big fan. Um, Never seen it. Never seen it. Oh, Bill. Production value, acting, everything. I hear, I hear good things. I do hear good a things. S tier. Everything. Woo! Watch okay. it. Get okay. caught up. Let's be on this journey together. <laughs> And thank you for listening to the Should I Go See It podcast. Please make sure to like and subscribe uh, and follow on Instagram at Should I Go See It.